0: Uh, Good morning all, my name's Peter, I'll be reading from God's Word this morning. If you have one of the Church Bibles, please turn to page 979, you can also read along uh, up on the screen. Uh, We're reading from James chapter 3, verses 13, through to chapter 4, verse 12. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom... But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says, without reason, that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace... That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up.
1: Good morning everyone, it is good to be here this morning to uh, continuing our series in John, uh, John, James even. Um, I've been in it for so long, it's, I've Not even etched into my head. But I'm hoping today it will be etched into our head. That We've been into it for so long, it's starting to kick in, the big message. We don't want to be just hearers of the word and just attenders and just we know all this stuff, but we want to be doers. We want to be putting it into practice. And again, James, the pastor that he is, writing to the churches that he loves, uh, is trying to encourage him, don't be just full of knowledge and puffed up and arrogance, but certainly take it to heart and put it into practice. I feel like this morning is going to be one of those big mornings where uh, God needs to do some serious work in our hearts to humble us uh, and to get him to follow his ways. So let me pray before we start uh, digging into the passage. Dear Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning, Well, particularly when we know Sunday mornings is often hard to even get out of bed, but that you've brought us here. Lord, I thank you for each one of us that we can be here to meet with each other, but to meet with you. That, Lord, as we sit here, that you soften our hearts, you open our ears, that we might understand your word and what it means to us, that we might hear you speak to us and that we might uh, not walk away just thinking that, you know, it's just another Sunday morning. But, Lord, we will be changed by your word. We'll be changed by you, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you had the opportunity to give your younger self some advice, some good wisdom, what would you give? So if you are, you know... If you could meet up, uh, sit down at a table with you yourself, maybe half your age, uh, what advice would you give? So uh, for me, I'm in my 40s. So if I could sit down with a 20-year-old me, uh, somebody who looked as handsome as that young guy, uh, what advice would I give him? It doesn't matter if you're uh, 16 or 80, you know half your age, what would you tell yourself? What words of wisdom would you give? You know, you've got a lot more years under your belt, a lot more uh, experience. What words of wisdom would you share? Now, I'm looking at that guy thinking, he knows everything. Um, And in a way, I've got no words of wisdom to say um, yeah here's a bit of important knowledge that you'll need that'll transform your life or change your life because for me growing up I grew up with Christian parents they sort of steered me in the way of uh way of the lord and um you know had that foundation of just knowing what god was about and he was a personal god a loving god and this is how you should live out your life and do things like that so I knew all that stuff there's no words of wisdom I could say you know do do you know, know this extra stuff. Maybe there's some wisdom in uh, how to be a better husband or father, but they words of wisdom, knowledge that I've gained over the years to say, this is how you put it into practice. But it is kind of knowledge. that I don't know if I told that Ross Wilson up on the screen anything, whether he would have taken that on board at all. So like, I know that stuff. It's no surprise. I can see it all happening. The big difference is, though, would I actually... Do what I'm saying him, the words of advice. See, if you were able to give your younger self words of wisdom, you say, look, you know, you need to invest in this area, or you need to spend your money this area, you need to prioritise this in your life, you need to um, put more attention to this area in your life. You can say all you want with words of wisdom. There's plenty of advice around. Just scour through the internet, You know, there's lots of comments. Everybody's got a word of wisdom. But there's words of knowledge. Wisdom is really when you put into practice. Are you going to actually do something with it? This is what James is saying at the start of that section we just had read, 3.13. uh, When he picks up this subject of wisdom, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. It's like he's saying, you can be the smartest guy around. It doesn't mean you're wise, because you might not even put it into practice. Wisdom, is knowing stuff, how the world works, how we should make good choices, but it's also putting into practice. It's what you do with it. You can tell by their life, he says. I can see by the life how wise you are, is what he's, he's saying. See, I'm sure we all know stuff here today, but it's a different question we're asking. Are you wise enough to put it into practice? Are you doing the right things with that information? Are you putting it into action? That's the questions James is proposing for us here as a church. He's, he's a pastor, he's writing to churches like us. He says, you know all this stuff, I have confidence, you're here this morning, you're here to hear God's word, but are you really putting it into action? And he sets up this lesson, there's two types of wisdom, he goes on to say. There's the world's wisdom and there's God's wisdom. Uh, I'll just give you a quick wrap uh, over those verses where he contrasts the two. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or, or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly; it's unspiritual, demonic. For those, uh, for where, you're, where you we we have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But then on the other hand, he says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, it's peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So there's two kinds of wisdom here. We can see the difference. And he describes what it looks like. And although there are words on a page, I'm just going to lay it out a little bit differently because sometimes a visual thing is helpful for somebody like me. He says there's two paths, two kinds of wisdom. And if I look at uh, somebody's life and how they're putting it into practice, I see on the one side there's bitter envy. They want what other people have got. And let's think about these words and the the type, type of character that he's describing. So I'm envious for what that person's got. Selfish ambition, the Bible says nothing wrong with being ambitious, but it's selfish ambition. It's about me, and what I, I want what that guy's got, and it's all about me and getting my dream that I have what he's got. That so they boast about uh, doing things their way, and they deny God's way. You know, I'm, I've got a good plan, and I'm putting it into practice. I don't need God. I don't need to meet up with him. I don't need to read his word. I can just push it aside. So I've got a good plan for my life, it's going well. But he says, I keep looking and there's disorder and even evil practices. It's kind of like he's saying, you're chasing these dreams, you're chasing these promises that are being offered to you and you want fulfilment, you want to be made complete, you want to be made whole and you're chasing, chasing, chasing all the things that the world is offering you. Because you can't get it, you, you just keep pushing things out of the road and striving for more and more. He says, there's disorder in your life. Even to the extent of saying evil practices. You're not acting right because you're chasing these things. And he describes them. He calls it that sort of wisdom. It's worldly wisdom because following the worldly promises, what, what they are trying to sell you is good and luring and, and satisfying. It's unspiritual. Not that it's not spiritual at all the way we use spiritual today, but it's ungodly. It's not a, a spiritual way in a godly sense. You push God out of the road. In fact, he even uses the word demonic like it's from Satan. That, that he's selling you the dreams, he's dangling the carrot out in front of you and we're chasing and chasing and chasing, I want that, what that guy's got, I want uh, that sort of lifestyle, I want to be made complete and whole like what they've got. And he says, it's a worldly way of wisdom. You're chasing empty promises and the frustration of not having fulfilment is just going to drive you to disorder and evil. He says, I look at other people's character and he says, look, it's peace loving, so it's, it's no longer about me anymore that what was on this side, but it's looking after other people. You know, I want to keep peace and I want to show that through love for others. I want to be considerate, not just considerate to myself, considerate to a word we do for others. Submissive for others, not a doormat, but you know, I work with others, I keep them in mind. I'm full of mercy, that's an action that we do for others, that we help others. There's good fruit that comes out of what we do because it's all other people centered, we're, we're building them up. Uh, It's impartial, so we're not judging others. Uh, We're treating others all fairly and equally. It's sincere. It's the real deal. It's genuine. It's not putting on this act, but it's real. And he says, when I look at that life, you see there's a harvest of righteousness. He says, you see it at the end. On the other side is disorder and evil practices. It's all about me and my wants, and I'll chase and chase, push anybody out of the road who gets in my road. But he says, when you look after others, you see they harvest righteousness. There's something going on in that person's life that's impressive. I can see it in action. And he says, that sort of wisdom is heavenly. It's godly. That's where God wants to steer you. That's the wisdom that he wants to guide you and let you enjoy and have. Now, We can ask those two questions about that. I mean, we might say, do you know people who are like this uh, side on the left that's the the worldly kind of wisdom? Or do you know people who have this heavenly sort of wisdom? You can see it in their character. I could even ask you, which side do you think you're on? Uh, Are you the description of a worldly person or a heavenly person? Now, I think for most of us here, when we see this laid out before us, we go, well, actually... I don't think I'm that bad. I don't think I'm in the worldly side. But, you know, I think I'm going okay with the heavenly side. That seems to be where I'm going in life and what, what dictates, my, dictates uh, my desires and what I want in life. And I, I serve other people. I washed up this morning. I serve other people. You know, it's that sort of thing. We, we see ourselves on this side. And I don't think anybody would really argue with us here. I had a chance um, coffee this week with a counsellor guy. Uh, it was a Chance Coffee, I only just met him at the coffee shop, struck up a conversation but in saying that was the cheapest counselling session I've ever had. Uh, but I got to know him and we were talking about different ways we help people in church, he's a Christian guy and we talked about um, yeah, different material we can give people different resources to help people get through life and to Be better and improve. He says there's lots of good material out there. Even something like this, I think you would say that's good material. Do you want to be the guy on the left that everybody hates? No, we don't want to be that person. Do you want to be the person on the right? We want to be the person on the right. It's like a to-do list. Start being peace-loving. Start considering others. Start being genuine and sincere. Like, this is helpful, right? But he says there's a problem with looking at this sort of stuff in isolation. We can give people stuff to read, we can sit down, we consider it, even in our own time, Uh, in in reading our Bible, we go, yeah, I want to be the godly person. And that's where I I think I'm I'm settling down at. I think I'm going okay. But he says the problem with our brain is, and he talked about different kind of studies that have proven this, there's different parts of the brain that are our decision makers. So we decide on things. What are you going to do for lunch today? What are you going to do this afternoon? How are you going to spend your week and prioritise? There's different parts of the brain that makes those decisions. But it's a different part of the brain that justifies the decision. So we can make a decision. He says there's different studies that show uh, we can choose things. And in these studies, I won't go into it, but it was really interesting how people can make particular choices. It can be good or bad choices or pretty trivial choices. But then you ask them, why did they make that choice? And in kind of their heart of hearts, they genuinely have a reason why they chose that, that way of things. They justified every action uh, the other side of their brain, that they could do it. And you'd see that happening with a lot of uh, murderers and criminals. You say, why did you do it? What was your motive? And they can justify it. They thought they did the right thing in, in doing their evil action. He says, that's what we're like. We actually need, when we see this sort of stuff, when we get wisdom on how to live the good life or how to have proper wisdom, like godly wisdom, he says, the problem is we can do that, tick the list off ourselves because we can justify ourselves. We actually need somebody to call us out on it. We actually need to talk to someone, uh, to talk us through this process. What kind of person am I? And I want your input in that. His technical term for that, he says, we need somebody to call our BS. He says, I'm not sure whether he'd say that in church. But he says, that's what we need. We need somebody to call us out at when we do this BS. That we, we're kidding ourselves. We can justify ourselves, but... But really, somebody's looking into our lives and going, you haven't got this right. You've actually got this wrong. I'm not the person that's going to call BS in your life today. There's somebody bigger and greater. James has got words that's pretty scary, really. A real insight into into what we're like. He gets into chapter 4. Just see the emphasis that he's uh, saying here. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Got his finger pointed squarely at each of us. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. It's you. Look at what you're doing. He says, you don't get what you want. You desire things. You chase things. They're empty dreams. I want what he's got. I want what they've got. I want to be satisfied just like them. And we get sold the dream that it's possible, it's achievable, whether it's through relationships, whether it's through money, whether it's through uh, honour or satisfaction, that, uh, status. He says, I want those things. And he says, it's, I can see it in your life. It's causing quarrels and fights among you. I'm better than you. I'm greater than you. I deserve more honour than you. He says... They don't come from. uh, Do they? They don't come from. Sorry, don't they come from your desires? That battle within you. I desire this stuff because I deserve better. I want it. I need it. You want something but don't get it. It's that idea of empty dreams. The world tells us we can be fulfilled and satisfied through a good sex life, through a good marriage, through a good job, through a good career, holidays around the world. That'll satisfy you. If only I had that. How many times in an argument, because this is where it kind of boils out what our real desires are, how many times does it come out in an argument where you might say, or at least think, I wish you were more like so-and-so. Or why aren't you more like that person? Because they would be better for me. That fits me and my agenda. They fulfill me. He says, it doesn't work like that. It's empty dreams. We're all human, we're all sinners, we're going to let each other down. He says, they're empty dreams. You chase. You want something, you don't get it. You kill and you covet. You know, sometimes literally, but maybe not. You, you'll destroy anybody that gets in your road, but you cannot have what you want. He says, because you're chasing the wrong things. You quarrel and you fight. You know what it's describing? It's describing back here. The guy with bitter envy, selfish ambition, boasts about having his way, not God's way, ends up with disorder and evil practices. You know what James is saying? He says, you might think you're more like the heavenly guy, but I'm looking at your life, what I'm seeing is whether you're arguing with your wife or your kids, your boss, even arguing with the guy on the street that's driving in the fast lane, going too slow. Yeah, you know, the guy in traffic. Get out of my road. I'm more important. I'm in a hurry. I need more respect. Don't cut me off. He says, when I look at your life, that's the sort of wisdom I'm seeing. And that's scary. That's the reality check. That's James, speaking through the power of God 2,000 years ago, saying, I'm calling BS on your life. I'm saying, is your heart really got the right desires? Are you chasing godly desires? But I'm looking at your life, it's like you're chasing your own desires. What the world is luring you to. That's what I'm seeing. You do not have, he says, he goes on. Because we we take it a step further, because we're good Christian people, we're in church here. uh, We go, well, God gives us what we want. He's a great God, he owns everything. If I pray, he will answer my prayers and bless me. But then he goes on, still with this you. You do not have because you do not ask. When you ask, you do not receive because you, do, you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So we've got God on one side that we know, you know, we say in words that, yeah, I trust God, I have faith in God, I know all the right words, you know, I have new life in Him, I'm blessed by Him. But when my heart's chasing what the world is offering, these empty promises, I'm kind of going, how do I get what I want for my own satisfaction, for my agenda, but keep what God, in the other hand, because I don't want to let him go, I'll pray to God to get what I want. It, it has this image of you know, the unfaithful husband. The, the husband who's married uh, to a faithful wife, he's got the commitment there, but he sees something better that he's chasing. He chases the woman and he goes to her, do whatever he can to get her uh, to have the affair on the side but can you imagine the husband saying to his wife I've got this woman that I'm pursuing this other woman can you give me some money so I can buy flowers can you give me some money to take her out on the weekend away because that's what he's saying we're doing we're going to God saying bless me bless me bless me so I can pursue this over here that's against you I know it's against you but I want I want I want it's not going to go well in your marriage. That's a marriage tip for today. It's not going to go well in your marriage, but it's not going to go well with God either. See, so often we, we have trouble understanding God and who he is and what he's about. Uh, that Somehow he's just a religious thing you do. You come to church and you, do, you be good and you get to heaven. Or it's a philosophy that if you understand different ways of life, change your thinking, that, that'll get you more spiritual or more right with God. But the Bible doesn't teach that at all. That God is a real being, with a real personality, with a real love for his people. And he's reaching out to his people. And we can know this God personally. It's not a philosophy, it's not a doing, religion type thing. It's actually knowing him. And when we turn our back on him and pursue other things, it does grieve him. It grieves him immensely. James goes on to put it in these words. I think I've skipped one, sorry. Um, From verse 4. Are you guys able to skip back a slide for me, please? Still mastering the technology. Uh, Or maybe I don't have it. Is that the next one there? Let me read it for you. Sorry about that. From verse 4, James says, straight after that, you don't get because you don't ask, but you're asking for the wrong things anyway. He says, you adulterous people. You know, picking up that whole language. You're chasing God, your faithful partner, to, to chase something else. You adulterous people, you don't know that friendship with the world means enmity against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason... That he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. He says, you've got this relationship with God going. You know him. He's saved you. He's reached out to you in his son, Jesus. But yet you're still chasing the empty dreams of worldliness. Well, Satan's luring you away from him to do whatever he can. Not through hard times, but luring for... You can have a better time over at my place. And we chase it. Chasing his empty promises. And God's, God's so jealous for us. that He relates to us, he wants us, and he pursues us even through Jesus. The whole story of God sending Jesus into the world is because the world had turned its back so far on God, pushed him so far away, that God says, I'm going to actually come into the world to reach out to you, to redeem this relationship, to restore it, to make it right again. So he sends Jesus into the world. And what were the people like, the world that he walked into? Arrogant. I want to do things my way. Selfish ambition, when we think of the Romans and the Greeks, all of them, was all about themselves, their own satisfaction, their own glory even. Conquer the world. I don't need God. I'm going to push him away. Even the religious people that Jesus come to, the Jews that Jesus would go into the temple, they were so arrogant. They are so puffed up, full of pride. Even those people who should have known who God is, were saying, I don't need you, Jesus. I'm going to push you away because I'm on my own path. I'm going to do things my way and I'm going to get satisfaction my way. I'm the good religious guy. Don't bother me. So they pushed Jesus away as well. The world actually rejected Jesus so much. When he came to restore the relationship, they even killed him. The religious guys, the Romans, they all wanted him dead. They rejected the love that he was offering. Yet God reaches out to us, to all of us, no matter where we're at, and he says, come to me. My love is so great. My grace abounds. My grace is for you. And this is, this is the promise that he gives us. I've done it again, sorry. Back to verse 6. I'm sure we had a slide there somewhere. Where he said, you know, for the proud, for, the, for those who want to live life their way. He says, my arms are open for you. From verse 6. But he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says, so he quotes the Old Testament, God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. See what he's talking about here? God wants to be in a relationship with you. God wants to have you a part of him. God wants to fulfil your your deepest desires but his way is not empty promises but he wants a real living relationship that's going to restore you to give you true life as opposed to what the world is offering but his grace abounds it's not like the angry husband who shuts the door and if you leave me you're gone God leaves the door open says come back my grace is bigger than that. The Old Testament gives this amazing picture on how to understand this relationship with God and it uses the, the example of a husband and a wife. Uh, there's this amazing story in the book of Hosea in the Old Testament where God sends a prophet, a man of God, uh, to marry a prostitute and the prostitute sort of uh, symbolises where Israel, God's people, are at at that time. She keeps walking away. She keeps being faithful, unfaithful uh, and she treats him horribly. But what does Hosea do resembling God? Just keeps coming back to her. Say, look, come back to me. My love's still there for you. At one stage, he buys her back out of slavery to come back. Come and be my wife. This is what God's doing. He says, my grace is there for you to come back. God opposes the proud because they're on their own journey. They want life about them. But he shows favour to the humble. So in a response to this... You know, we can go, yeah, we know all this stuff. I know that stuff about the Old Testament. I know that stuff about God. But what are we doing about it? James says you've got to do something about it. That's wisdom. It's knowledge to know about it. Wisdom's doing something about it. Here's the instructions. Submit yourselves, he says in verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, now his lies and his false promises. Resist him and he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, he says. It's the Jewish way of purifying themselves. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. What he's saying here is, he's not saying to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, means your life's got to be sad and you're miserable all the time. But what he's saying is, the arrogant go around with their chest puffed out, look at me and look how much fun I'm having because, you know, I'm the best in the world. But he says, no, come to God in humility. Brokenness, in a sense. Like, God, I have made bad choices. I have stuffed up. I know if my heart has its own way, it will run for other things that you don't desire. So come to him in brokenness. Grieve, mourn about our sin. We don't deserve his love, but we can come to him. Verse 10, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. All those empty promises, if I get the perfect partner, the the most money, the the best holidays, I'll be lifted up and I'll be fulfilled and I'll be complete. No, he's saying, come to God in humility and brokenness. Come to Jesus and trust in what he has done for us. He says, then you'll be lifted up. Then you'll receive true life. Then you'll see what fulfillment really means. Come to God in that, through Jesus, for what Jesus has done through his death. Find it just bizarre, really, that Jesus would come into the world, that we, as a humanity, would reject him so much that even as we're putting the nails in his hand, he's not cursing us but saying, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That's us. We don't know when we push God away. But God's got the door open. Come back to me in humility. Know that I am God. I'm the one that can answer your promises. And I can fulfil them. Come to me, and He will lift us up. The final verses, then, uh, in this section, is just saying, "Look, I'm looking at you. You're fighting. You're carrying on. Cut it out. Stop focusing on each other. Focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus, because your actions are showing how wise you are, and your actions are not good. Clean it up." Earlier in uh, in James there was this illustration that he used about a mirror. He says, Sometimes, you know, it's a fool who's the man, walks in front of the mirror, he sees himself, you know, hey, aren't I so handsome, or look at my faults, or whatever his reaction is. But as soon as he walks away from the mirror, he forgets what he's like. He says, that's foolish. You need to look at yourself in a mirror and do something about it. If you see faults, you need to shave or whatever, Do something. This is one of these passages that demands a response. Are we just going to say, yeah, interesting points of view or different wisdom, or are we going to actually be wise about it and do something about it? See, what are you chasing? What are you pushing other people away for so you can have your satisfaction? What's causing the quarrels in your life? The last argument that you were involved with, what was that about? Was it really about... The dishes or something? Or was it about you not having respect, not being respected or not being heard? Is it all about you getting your way? Or you deserve your time out? Is it all about you? James said, you need to give it up. Give it up. Follow God's ways. A humble heart that serves others, glorifies others. He says, God will build you up in that process. And we see it happening all the time. Through Scripture, we see Jesus comes across, the rich young man. You think wealth. Wealth would make someone happy. The rich man comes up to Jesus and he says, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus says, well, how about you give all your money away and come and follow me? Trust in me, not your money is what he's saying. And the rich man walked away because he couldn't do it and says he walked away unhappy. But then you get somebody, just a few chapters later in Luke, uh, Nicodemus is a tax collector um, and he... uh, comes to jesus with a humble heart asks for forgiveness he is forgiven what does he do with his money he gives his money away all his money he gives away to to help people did he walk away unhappy because he just gave all his money away no he walked away happy he was putting on a party for jesus because he had this new life he wasn't fulfilled by his money as fulfilled by jesus the woman at the well an example of somebody who who just pursues happiness through relationships, thinking that's the answer. Jesus says, I know you've had five husbands and you're living with another guy. Kind of like, how's that working out for you? And it's not. But as soon as he says, I can give you living water, something that you won't have to come back and thirst for, but something that's going to give you true life, she just starts telling everybody. Jesus didn't tell her, you need to stop sleeping around. He says, you need to get your life right and make me your priority. Find true life in me. Then it seems she responded the right way and cleaned up the rest of her life to come and follow Jesus. So Jesus does fulfill us, gives us answers. We need to trust him. We need to say, we're not just going to be hearers of the word. We're going to put into action and practice. We're going to make him a priority and live for him and live for eternal things. But we can't do it with Arrogance. We need to come to with him humility and brokenness. This morning is a great morning uh, for you to be here. because so we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And that's where we remember what Jesus has done. That he was broken in our place. That he was broken so we can come to him. That we can see true wisdom and find true life. And we've got to remember James only said in uh, James chapter 1 from verse 15. From verse 5 even. I've even got it there. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should, not, uh, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. What he's saying is, if you're in God and God's wisdom and what he's doing in your life trust him he's the lord of the universe but if you're double-minded saying look i want what god's offering because his blessings sound pretty good but i'm also tu- pursuing this because that's what i'm really interested you're double-minded and you're playing games with god and ultimately playing games with yourself saying trust me i can give you wisdom pray for it seek it that's what we're doing we remember the lord's supper as well we're not just hearing it go oh yeah that's another you know, good reminder. But I want you to actually get up off your seat, grab the juice and the bread. I'm going to do something about it today. That I'm not going to play games with God anymore by pursuing my other desires, but I'm going to pursue God as my desire. He's all I long for. He's all I want. But when we come to him, we come to him with that humble heart. In Isaiah, it points us to this moment in time where... God's just revealing himself, not as that philosophical God, but as a real God, the personal God. Isaiah 66 verse 1, he says, This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where is my resting place? He's having a go at them and saying, Look, what can you do for me? You can't do anything because I own everything. I created everything. I sustain everything. I've got it all. He says in verse 2, Has not my hand made all these things, and so they come into being, declares the Lord. But then he says, This is the one thing I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So here's the opportunity this morning to show, Are you coming before God in some sort of arrogance? Some sort of way of entitlement? I deserve respect. I deserve heaven. I'm a good person. It's the wrong way. But if you come to him in humility, going, God, you actually know my heart better than I do. And now that I've seen that this morning, I don't want to walk away from that mirror and not do anything about it. I want to do something about it. I want to do something about this morning. And God says, the one he esteems is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at his word. Is that us today? That we want to hold him up as Lord. want to hear his word as the word of God. And we want to respond wisely. The opportunity today uh, with the Lord's Supper, it's not magical, it's not mystical, that it does anything super spiritual, spiritual, but it's an active way of saying, Jesus is my Lord and I'm going to trust what he has done on the cross. And Jesus said, this is how you do it. When uh, After he um, descended, uh, ascended back into heaven, he wanted us to remember him using these elements. But before he left, he described to the disciples how he should do it. And he says, when you get the bread, it's not just a feast, but when you get the bread, and he broke it in front of them, he says, remember, this is my body which is given for you. Jesus was broken for us. As we eat the bread, we realise it's a way of praising him. Thank you, Jesus, that you would give your body for mine so I won't have to be punished, but I'll have true life says, this is the cup of the new covenant shed in my blood. It's not literal blood. Jesus doesn't want us to drink literal blood. It's juice, but it's red. It reminds us, Jesus shed his blood for us. So we don't have to die pursuing those empty promises, those empty dreams. We don't have to kill all the relationships around us. But we cling to Jesus and he gives us life, life to the full. And remember what he's done for us to do that. So we're going to do that in just a moment. How we're going to do it is, uh, it's up here at the front. I think it's a good practice for us to to actually get up off our seats. Say, yes, I'm going to do this this morning. I want to show that I'm trusting Jesus by participating. Grab a juice, grab a bit of bread, go and grab a seat, and then just hang on to it, uh, because then when everybody's being served, we'll eat and drink together. Uh, If somebody's around you that's um, unable to, to walk out the front for different reasons, offer to get them some. That would be a good thing to do. But this is for someone who says, look, I want to hold you up as Lord of my life. If you're here today and you go, hey, I'm just here checking out Jesus, that's okay, we welcome you and thank you for coming. But it's when you're ready to say, Jesus is Lord of my life, that's when you come, that's when you grab the bread and juice, that's when you hold up and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. So feel free, if you're not at that stage yet, just watch on, see what we're doing here. As I said, it's not, nothing mystical about it. we're just remembering our great Lord Jesus. But before we do that, uh, let's pray and then I'll invite you to come forward. Dear Father, thank you for just your amazing love, that even when we reject you, we push you to the side, we chase our own dreams. And even in that process, Lord, we recognise we often hurt lots of people around us, whether it's uh, our wives and family or whether it's um, those closest to us. We tend to take our frustrations out on them that we're not getting our, our needs met. But Lord, thank you for your grace and your hand of mercy that reaches out to us. We thank you that you invite us home. You invite us back to you into your house. Thank you that your love is so great for us that you sent your son Jesus to die in our place that we might find forgiveness. But Lord, don't let these be words. Don't let these be head knowledge. But Lord, let us put that into wisdom and action today that we might do something about it, that today might be a a turning point for us, that we're going to take following you seriously. We're going to make you a priority. We're going to worship you the way we should by factoring our life all around you. So Lord, this is just a starting point, the Lord's Supper. Lord, let us live it out each and every day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.